0: Hi, I'm Andrew McCluskey, and you're listening to Shining a Diamond Light.
1: Hello, and welcome to Shining a Diamond Light.
2: I'm Molly Fry.
1: And I'm Tim Geit.
2: And today we're talking with Andrew McCluskey, who works here at Diamond to help scientists understand the results of their experiments.
1: He used to be a chemist wearing a white coat every day before he taught himself how to program.
2: So keep listening on to find out what Andrew is working on now, how he got to be here, and why some good ideas start with a blog.
0: Okay, so my job title is I am a data analysis scientist hyphen reflectometry.
2: And what exactly is reflectometry? Because that's not something we come across every day. So
0: so you've got your x-rays or alternatively your neutrons if you're from the other side of the campus. And they bounce off that surface at the same angle that they've been instant in the first place. Mm-hmm. What's actually happening, the, the kind of fundamental underlying physics, is that some of the neutrons or some of the X-rays are just bouncing straight off. They're just hitting the very top layer. Nothing's happening. But other uh, some, of the, some of the other radiation is going in a bit. And the, it goes in a bit. And you know how if you put a, like a pole into water, it yeah. bends? Yeah. Because the light is travelling at different speeds. The X-rays and the neutrons, they're angle changes when they enter the material. Mm-hmm. And this happens a whole bunch of different times through the material. And eventually, at each point, it can either reflect or refract. Right. That's something I've said a lot of times. I can <laughs> never get it quite right. It'll either reflect or refract. That means that the some of the radiation has travelled further than other parts of the radiation. So if there's just been reflection, yeah. it's just gone up and down. But if there's been one level of refraction, it's gone a wee bit into the material and then come back out. And that means that you can have... Because your, your X-rays and your neutrons have a wavelength shift, you would get constructive or destructive interference.
2: And is that something then we have to resolve as part of looking at the data that comes out of our...
0: Well, so that's because of the constructive and destructive interference. We can say our model is this. What would the reflectometry from that theoretical model be? And then we get a set of a, 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 a model reflectometry and we go, that kind of looks like our data. But not very much. So let's tweak this. and let's make that a wee bit thicker. Like let's make that a wee bit denser, and then we can
1: eventually get something that agrees with the data. So just to break that down a little bit, you said you've got your model and you've got your data, and you are basically reverse engineering what you physically have in the sample to try and find a model that's as close to that as possible. Yeah. Matches so, the data that you have. So one of the things that I
0: actually I did quite a lot of um, in my PhD. Uh, was to try and make it so that my model understood the chemistry underneath, because obviously so I was looking at things called lipid monolayers, which are chemical molecules, they have they have a head group and these are joined to two tail groups. And b- you can actually put that information into your model. You can say that alright, I have I should have one for every one head group. I need to have two tail groups. Mm-hmm. You you aren't quite reverse engineering it. You're kind of coming at it from both ends. But in the end, you get information about the chemistry out. And so like our Remember fitting uh, some data, and I got a really beautiful model out. And this was before I'd really done a lot of reflectometry, and um, I, sh- I was helping my friend by analysing his data, and I showed it to him. and He was like, "What that was that?" And I was like, "Oh, look how good it fits the data." And he's like, "You've got a negative number for a thickness. Something is negatively thick." I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, I should, I shouldn't have that. Should I?" So yeah, you can end up in situations where you get a really good fit to the model that's utter garbage
2: so do you have to do a different model for every experiment that you do then or that goes on
0: so it depends on how lazy you are Uh, (laughs) and so that's actually one of the things that i'm trying to look at in my job now is trying to help people analyze data but trying to go towards a more general approach to their data analysis but hopefully in future uh, if i'm any good at my job (laughs) we'll end up having something a bit more general
2: and what would that like? What's the benefit of that for, say, someone who comes in and uses it, or someone who's trying to rationalise a massive chunk of data? Is it
0: so? Uh, it's already quite common in uh, macromolecular crystallography beamlines, mm-hmm. where users don't even need to come. Users just post their samples, or they send their their one the one guy <laughs> from the uni down with, to, with all the samples, and they get back effectively analysed data, or moving towards analysed data. If we're able to move towards a more automated solution to these data analyses, then that might be a I could
2: think. So it sounds like, w- well, data analysis is the place to be, really, because it's going to change and speed up science significantly.
0: I mean, it's the place to be until you automate your job away.
2: <laughs> um. <laughs> so, I mean, your PhD was with Bath uh, University. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you've gotten some awards for some of the projects you worked with as part of it.
0: Award, singular. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so yeah, I did a PhD with Bath, uh, joint with Diamond, so it was actually a co-funded studentship. So Bath gave half the money, Diamond gave half the money. And my PhD was originally meant to be on something that I've never really ended up properly doing, because that's the way PhDs kind of work. But that kind of that allowed me to get a lot of opportunities in, in different ways. So the fact that I was based mostly at a university meant I got a lot of teaching experience, which leads to the, to the award thing. But being here at Diamond meant I also got to uh, get to know the beamline scientists, get to be involved in beamline operation. Whenever friends from Bath had experiments, I would always end up having to come along because I was the one who knew how the computers at Diamond worked. (laughs) Um,
1: And so I I became very good at night shifts. So your PhD was partly funded by Bath University and partly by Diamond. So what kind of area is your PhD in that you can get that type of agreement to be in kind of two places at once
0: uh so i my phd is technically chemistry it was initially my project was about actually running simulations of systems and then analyzing the data and trying to compare with the simulations but i kind of i enjoyed that but also enjoyed like trying to develop my own software and trying to develop analysis methods and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. i'm moving in uh, in different algorithms and different Moving more into the kind of mathematics and computational uh, science aspects of things, uh, and so that kind of happened through my PhD. So although my undergrad and my PhD are technically in chemistry, and I was in the chemistry department for the whole of my PhD, none of my friends believe I'm a chemist anymore. I don't think I'm a chemist. <laughs> my mom still tells people I'm a chemist, but she's always they always like ask me, oh, "What do you do?" I'm like, "I'm a programmer. That's what I do. Now. Yeah. That's my job."
2: I guess that's really interesting. I mean, did you always did you start out thinking, "Yep, chemistry—that's where it's at." I mean, like, how did you even come into this place in the first place?
0: So, my in high school, I I was applying for uni, and I was I was interested in maths, and I was in, and I was and uh, I enjoyed chemistry, and I asked my uh, high school chemistry teacher that I was quite friendly with, and I'd done like uh, sc- school exchanges to South Africa with him, so I'd gotten to know him quite well. Um, I was like, all right, Mister Neil." What should I? Uh, what should I do at university? Like I'm gonna apply to either chemistry or maths, or I'm, I've applied to chemistry and maths. And and Mister New was like, "Well, I mean, mate, I'm the only one of the, my chemistry, like the sh- guys I did chemistry with, that isn't making six finger six fingers in oil <laughs> and gas." And I was like, "Chemistry it is, man, <laughs> chemistry." It is. And now I'm
1: a academic working in the public sector. So, <laughs> so you did. Your chemistry undergraduate and then you had this kind of pull towards doing stuff more on the computer and the processing and you went to this really cool job where you got the experience and kind of understood a little bit more about what you wanted to do yeah, yeah and now you're at diamond but you mentioned this teaching which you were doing and you've kind of still been doing it you might do it more in the future so where did that pull come from where was the first place you were when you had maybe the chance to do it or where you even decided that you liked it because certainly not everybody is very keen on getting up in front of a crowd of people sometimes <laughs> and trying to explain complex scientific well, uh, so the techniques the, and procedures to them.
0: The teaching thing uh, really came from being annoyed at my undergrad. Like, so, mm-hmm. in under- so I am now a programmer. I had no formal training in programming. Uh, and now that's no fault of the chemistry department of Edinburgh University or Ronald <laughs> Uni. Uh, but... It, Programming isn't generally taught in chemistry. Uh, it's taught in if you're doing physics or engineering, you'll get some programming. But chemistry is it's still considered to be quite hands-on science. Now, I'm of the opinion that that's changing a lot. And so my undergraduate I had no programming, and I was like, ah, that was a bit rubbish. I would have quite liked to have done some. Uh, and then, uh, uh, one of the academics at Bath was they were starting to try and bring Python, so Python programming mm-hmm. into first year of the undergraduate course, and I kind of got involved that way. Um, and so as a result, myself um, and this academic that had brought it in and one of the teaching fellows, the physical chemistry teaching fellow at Bath, who was helping with it all, decided to start this kind of like, all right, okay, let's start a blog and we can like start to document some of this so that other, if other chemistry departments want to do it, they could read our blog.
2: We'll get back to Andrew in a moment, because there's been some really cool things happening here at Diamond that we want to tell you a bit more about.
1: That's right. We recently published our 8,000th paper which investigated new materials for use in solar panels.
2: And we also had some pretty cool rocks from the moon here to help us understand and predict the formation of volcanoes here on Earth.
1: More on that in a future episode.
2: So make sure to pop over to our website to find out the newest updates from us. That's www.diamond.ac.uk.
1: And we've put all links to all of this in the show notes.
2: So now we're going to pop back over to Andrew, who will explain that work that he did that won the prize that we mentioned about earlier.
0: It was like over like a Christmas break. Um, Not that you really get much of a Christmas break as a PhD student, but I think it was like a Friday night and I was i wasn't doing anything and i was like okay i'm gonna try and write uh like make a website for this project yeah so so this so i sat on a friday uh, had a couple of cans of lager with me <laughs> um, and sat in my room and kind of made took all the stuff that was on the blog's website and put it on a, a different website that we had kind of more creative control over and i'd kind of engineered all the back end so that it was it was still usable enough for uh, the teaching fellow who for, for example didn't have any web development experience mm-hmm. to do but while myself and the, the Ben Morgan the academic could still do like this, these weird things that we wanted to do <laughs> and, and so that kind of I, I then I think that same night after maybe like four cans of lager and I would made this website I like sent it to Ben and I was like, oh by the way I got bored and did this <laughs> and uh, he sent it to Fiona and he was like oh by the way also I've bought the domain name and registered it <laughs> And she was like, oh, shall shall we take the blog? He was like, just make the blog redirect to this. No. (laughs) Because now we have control over this website. And so that became pythonandchemistry.org, which was our way of starting to document that. So one of the main techniques, uh, one of the main computational techniques I used in my PhD was a thing called molecular dynamic simulation. And so molecular dynamic simulation is basically two atoms and they have some sort of function, some sort of mathematical function that describes their attraction and repulsion from Mm -hmm. each other. Um, And then using Newton's equations, using that, you can calculate the force on each of the atoms, and then using Newton's equations of motion, you can calculate their trajectory over time. Well, actually, at the time, we were demonstrating a lab that had a molecular dynamics simulation as part of it. And this molecular dynamics simulation was uh, written in 1992. So it was written the year I was born, and it stopped working with the university computers. That's quite modern for (laughs) scientific (laughs) software. Well, this one had like a GUI and so you could watch little balls (laughs) moving about and bouncing off each other. But the version of JavaScript that he used was so old that the university computers thought it was a virus. Oh my gosh. And so wouldn't open it. And so we were trying to do this lab and we were like, oh, geez. And like none of the students' things would work. And And so as a result, I ended up speaking to Ben about this and he was like, oh, it'd be really cool if we could do this in Python. And I was like, that does sound like a fun project. Like, oh, yeah. So I kind of ended up, Taking that and run with it, and and so as a result, developed this software, Pilege. Mm-hmm. And so Pilege is using it. You can watch the little balls bounce off each other, and it's it's got a nice user interface. Nineteen
2: ninety two styling or two thousand nineteen
1: styling. I mean, it's definitely more modern than, than <laughs> what we were using before. Let's put it that way. Um, so, so you've got one screen, yeah, showing all these particles, yeah, flying around, interacting with each other, and on the other one, you've got this graph, which is if you did this particular type of experiment on this data, as it looks at the moment, this is what yeah. you get out, exactly, basically. Yeah. And then exactly. you can change all the values, the temperature, yeah. how much like the pressure, things yeah. like that.
0: You can change you can the temperature and the, the volume of the system and mm-hmm. the number and density of the system. And so you can really see the, the effect that you're... I mean, it's not something you would necessarily use in research, but it's nice as a kind of example to show, yeah. to show people learning. Um, and so I, I had that and then... There was a conference, so the big small angle scattering conference, uh, which is a uh, every three years, which took place last year in Traverse City, Michigan. And I was, and to kind of show you how simple this software is to use, like I'm now going to write a quote write some code from scratch. Then eventually I've written. I was like, oh yeah, and it's just as easy as you just go and run it, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I, I, mean, I think people quite enjoyed it,
1: uh, and as a result, I won the, like a best student talk prize. You can use the program, which Andrew won his prize for, for free at pythoninchemistry.org.
2: And next, Andrew's going to tell us about doing experiments at Diamond and at Isis.
1: Isis is a neutron and muon source on our campus, which performs similar but different experiments to Diamond. Molly and I work at Diamond, but we, well, as far as I'm aware, haven't (laughs) actually been involved in being on a beamline while an experiment's happening and being part of actually uh, producing the results which Diamond is responsible for. So you have helped out with a number of experiments and actually, like you said, done some night shifts. So I guess, what's that experience like? What's Diamond like at night? How stressed do people get when things aren't going very well? So the, I mean, I've, I've done, I think I probably did about
0: 10 beam times in my PhD and only Two, one or two of them was my own beam time So beam time mm-hmm. that I'd, I, I was my experiment because so I think I only did like three experiments in my whole PhD. So I went along to a lot of beam times and I saw a lot of different people with beam times and how for the and yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I quite enjoyed. Uh, it was quite fun doing a like this. It, one of the really interesting things, actually, from a really cool things with doing like a, a night shift at beam time is there's times where you're like walking about diamond ISIS and you're like it's like I'm the only person here in this huge facility Yeah. and so I remember the last was it the last? no the second last beam time I helped out on uh, was over at Isis and like to try and stay awake like I would do some work or I would sit and try and read or something and then I'd be like oh, i asleep so I would go for a walk and so I ended up just walking around everywhere in, in the ISIS like, beam hall, like, where all the instruments yeah. are. And just seeing everything. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's really nice. Like, taking photos of things. Uh, and it's just really interesting because you don't see other people. Or when you do, they're equally as, like, sleep deprived <laughs> as you are.
2: <laughs> and in awe of walking around a yeah, oh, spaceship-looking just so facility in the dark.
0: And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, 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 a, it's a fun uh, kind of experience.
1: Yeah, so beam time doesn't come around that often, and like you said, especially if you're a PhD student, yeah. you don't even have a few years to try and get it. So, did you have a group of PhD students where you try and band together and all be there to kind of support each other when it came around, or yeah? How, I mean, how does it? How does that work? Once you get your beam time, I don't know if it comes in a fancy letter or. anything <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going
0: to go Typically so you would you you apply you put towards the, you put together a scientific case for getting beam time and then you'll either get it or won't. And when it comes to usually Just to clarify how do you get that news? Uh I think by an email man. It's oh not, man, it's a so they don't dull. send it in not the post. Just wanted so, to check. Yeah. <laughs> Santa coming down to your chimney with beamtime. time uh, <laughs> but um yeah, so you, you find out however you find out. Um typically three people will come on beam time so there would be a group of three four reflectometry instruments typically you get four because reflectometry you need to do night shifts yeah so you're trying to use the beam all the time yeah everyone's kind of banding together there's I mean obviously some people will be some people so some people will like come on to a beam time and be like oh fancy flying a mass sample on too <laughs> and then the person who's beam time is like
1: there's no one here for It's um, a bit of a cheeky move yeah, there? yeah
0: but I mean that's the thing it comes about so rarely and say you have say you've had Beemtown and you've had all this good data and you need one more sample just to finish that amazing paper or whatever yeah. then coming along and doing that is is understandable I always I always said that because I was here as a helper most of the time it, my job was to make sure that they did the science that they wanted to do yeah and that's that's what I think is really exciting about my job now my job is the same thing my job is to make sure people do cool science
2: Well, thank you to Andrew. We had a lot of fun talking to him today and hearing more about his Diamond story.
1: Yes, and we have another amazing guest to come next week.
2: So, in the meantime, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow Diamond Light Source on Facebook and Twitter.
1: And send any comments or ideas you have to podcast at diamond.ac.uk.
2: Thanks for listening.